the prison guard beckons them to follow him. Don't worry, transfer paperwork mix-ups happen all the time down here. Governor will sort it out. Behind the guard's back, Tatters and Valerian, dressed in blue-coat uniforms, glance at one another nervously. This had not been part of the plan. Their shackled prisoner, Alphonse Crater Crabtree, rolls his massive shoulders and grins. Follow me, the guard says, as they descend from the steel gantry to a mess hall below. Prisoners, under the watchful eye of green-uniformed prison guards, are filing in. Many others are already sat at tables, poking disconsolately at the gelatinous grey sludge in their dented metal plates. You have all this to look forward to, prisoner, the guard smirks as they weave their way through the rapidly filling dining hall, prodding Alphonse hard in the ribs with his baton, and then waving it over at a series of slop-filled serving trays on the far side of the room. All cuisine, the iron hook prison style, you're gonna love it. As if on cue, a commotion breaks out in the line of prisoners queuing for their food. I ain't eating no more of this shit, a prisoner bellows, and with an almighty crash, he upends a whole table of serving trays. The touch paper is lit, and the effect is instantaneous. The room erupts. All around them, prisoners hurl themselves at the guards and at one another, barely suppressed frustration and desperation boiling over into an orgy of violence. It's a full-blown prison riot. Their guard escort, wide-eyed and shrieking, goes down under a flurry of fists and boots as the mob of prisoners close in. Alphonse turns to Valerian and tatters and looks them up and down, grinning from ear to ear. Now this is my kind of breakfast, but I'm sure as shit wouldn't want to be wearing them bluecoat colours right now. It's been nice knowing you. Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I'll be using the Blades in the Dark rule set, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning. The following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last season, on The Lone Adventurer, the House of Whispers agent, Mina Montessario, and her companion, Cadmus of the Church of Ancre, learned of a pipe-runner plot to destroy the city using vast quantities of high explosives. Working alongside her sworn enemies, the deranged terrorist cult of the Great Machine, she was able to thwart the pipe-runner's plans, but not the plans of the cult. They remain intent on bombing the city, and in particular, Mina's own wedding a high-society event organised by her scheming cousin Alexis, the new head of the House of Whispers. This wedding, an alliance between houses Montessario and Tereth, is intended to shore up both houses' interests in the face of a deadly new threat, 
the mysterious criminal organization of shapeshifters, known only as the Unseen, has made a direct attack on House Montessario, killing the previous Whisperer. This, and the destabilizing impact of the cult's bombing campaign, has thrown the uneasy alliance that exists between the city's countless factions into chaos, and the city now teeters on the brink of all-out civil war. And throughout, Mina's steps have been dogged by a mysterious visitor. This man, Valerian, is part of a shadowy espionage organization led by the Spider. Their motives are shrouded in mystery, but they appear to be set against the cult and the unseen, and have attempted to use Mina as a pawn in their game. Mina had hoped to draw them into her own plans against the cult's attack on her wedding, but the visitor could not be found. We're about to find out why. Valerian sighs, dodging a steel dinner tray that goes flying past his head. It doesn't matter how many times you explain a plan to Alphonse, it never really seems to sink in. No matter the time, effort and coin that has gone into persuading Harker, an ex-resident of this fine institution, to leverage his contacts and set up this little pantomime. No matter the extensive set of bribes made to cons, screws, middlemen, and seemingly anyone else with a grasping, outstretched hand. No matter the detailed and repeated run-throughs of this planned assault on Ironhook Prison, arguably the highest security complex in the city. As far as Alphonse is concerned, that's just noise. And so Harker came through. Valerian spreads his hands, pained. You don't have to sound so surprised, Tatters. Of course Harker came through. Was there ever any doubt? Valerian can't quite believe that that two-faced, duplicitous little winking shit Harker actually came through. He'd have put good money on them all getting jumped, beaten halfway to hell, and then arrested as an afterthought the moment they set foot off the big drop. But needs must where the devil drives, and right now the devil is driving them awfully hard. The spider had not been wrong. Her plucky little crew, her web, was at war, whether they liked it or not. Hell, the whole damned city was at war, or soon would be. And in war, the one thing you needed was allies, a resource the web are painfully short on right now. Which is why, when the olive branch of support had been extended from the wraiths, the spider had seized it. Despite the fact that the condition of that branch had been to spring Slate, the leader of that organization, from the hook. They knew all about Ironhook, of course. There were few crews in the city whose members had not, at some time or another, spent some time within its confines. In a city perched upon a gigantic link in a world chain, it only made sense to suspend its greatest penitentiary from a hook suspended beneath that link. Out of sight out of mind, and beneath contempt. He may have come through, but it ain't gonna stop you two getting stomped if we don't get out of here. Come on! Alphonse is right. What had started as a glorified food fight is rapidly degenerating into a full-blown slaughter. Just ahead of them, a panicked guard goes down under a flurry of blows. The glint of crudely fashioned blades and the bright red spray of blood a clear indication things have taken a turn for the deadly. Valerian glances up at the watch station. Although the guards down here are getting cut to pieces, it's only a matter of time before the guards up on that station are positioned along the gantry re-establish control. Or worse, notice that 
two blue coats are weaving their way, miraculously unmolested, through the riot. Right you are, Mr. Crabtree, Valerian concedes. Please, lead on. Well, hooray. All my doom and gloom back in that Season 2 Session Zero about Blades in the Dark being an insurmountable obstacle have proven to be unfounded. At least, so far. My indefatigable RPG chops overcame all. Go me! Well, no, that's not really remotely true. In fact, I very, very nearly packed it all in and gave up. And there was one simple reason that I didn't, and it was nothing to do with me. One of the most important things to remember in life is that you're not alone. We are all surrounded by others, even if we don't see them. Others who have shared our experiences, who understand our pain, and who can support and guide us on our various journeys. All we have to do is ask. And so I asked. I asked on Reddit and on BoardGameGeek, and people who had trodden the same path of learning how to play Blades in the Dark solo were only too happy to help. Lots of people provided me with really helpful advice. Two folks in particular, the Reverend Uncle Bastard on BoardGameGeek, and Because It's Bitter on Reddit, went above and beyond to provide me with some really detailed guidance and actual play examples. Thanks, folks. You really helped me get through the logjam. All that is not to say that I'm now an expert at this game. Far from it, in fact. I suspect I'm still making an absolute hash of some of the system here, and I'm missing elements that should, strictly speaking, be included. But now I feel I know enough to play without total confusion and uncertainty. I know enough to have fun playing, and that's good enough for me. One tangible effect of the guidance provided was to steer me to creating some additional oracles to help me with solo play. First, I took the Alone in the Dark binary question oracle and expanded it a bit, adding options for very likely or very unlikely outcomes, and so there's now six possible answers to this oracle. One, yes. Two, no. Three, yes, but. That means yes, but with something negative happening. Four, yes, and. Yes, and something extra and positive is added. Five, no, because. And six, complication. Then I created a scene start oracle, which sort of mimics the mythic interrupt or alteration mechanic at scene start. This mechanism simply uses the binary oracle I just described with the question, does the scene start as expected? And then I get to choose the likelihood. The next oracle is the consequence oracle. Often in Blades you can succeed, but at a cost. Determining what that cost was was one of the places I was getting stuck, so I decided to randomise the process. I have ten possible consequences I've come up with, and we'll see those consequences in action during play. Probably more than I'd like. And finally I created a GM's What Next Oracle. If I get stuck, or if it feels like the next action should be picked up by the GM part of my play experience, but it's unclear what the GM should do, then I'll roll on this oracle. If you'd like to see those oracles, I've added a link to them in the show notes. So, as is traditional for this behind-the-curtain section, let's step through how the previous scene came together. But before we do, I want to mention some of the prep that I carried out before the game even began. Blades comes with a baked-in setting, the city of Doskvol, and that city is made up of a number of detailed districts and factions. 
Seeing as Blades has done so much of the heavy lifting already for me here, it made sense to try and make use of what I could. So my first task was to map the districts of my own city, Kairos, to the districts of Doskvol, which turned out to be a surprisingly easy exercise. I made a few minor updates to my map, but in the main, I was able to just file off the serial numbers and rename things. And bingo, I now had flesh over my previously very bare bones. Next up were the factions. Again, renaming a few and tweaking some others left me with a huge range of factions that now fit into my own setting, but that each now have story hooks and flavour provided by the Blades in the Dark rulebook. I then set things up. I picked a few relevant factions, the Unseen, the House of Whispers, the Cult of the Machine, and a new faction, a potential ally which will be determined in play. I gave each faction a couple of clocks, which represented the faction's long-term goals. For the Cult of the Machine, one was Convert Unbelievers, for example. I'll provide more detail on these as they come up in play, but if you want to see them all, again, they're included in the show notes. On a similar topic, if you're interested in seeing a map of Kairos along with the district mappings, I've included that in the episode transcript, as I can't add images easily in the show notes. Anyway, my starting position was clear. The Unseen are at war with the House of Whispers, the Cult of the Machine is at war with everyone, many other factions are in open combat with one another, and one other faction seeks an alliance to avoid being destroyed. Blades in the Dark has this sort of meta flow to the game. You move from free play to an engagement role, and from there to your score, and from there to downtime, rinse and repeat. For this first run round the cycle, I decided to skip the free play section and jump straight into my engagement role. As mentioned in session zero, I knew my score would involve that mistrust prison result that I got at the end of season one. And knowing what I know about Kairos slash Doskval, one of the locations in the city is Ironhook Prison, named for the huge iron hook that holds it suspended beneath the Great Link upon which Kairos sits. This score was going to be a prison break. But why? What on earth were the web doing breaking into the one place they should be doing their damnedest to stay out of? To answer that question, I turn to the one oracle I've not mentioned yet, the alone-in-the-dark complex question oracle. This oracle is made up of a series of pictures. You roll three six-sided dice, which gives you a number from 111 to 666, and you select the numbered images. So, in this case, I rolled 334 and 263, which gave me a wounded hand and a crowned skull. I knew that alliances were a theme, and the wounded hand reminded me a bit of the Blood Brothers ritual, so that then perhaps represented forging an alliance. The crowned skull was a little trickier, but I knew that it had to relate to the who in that alliance, and so I scanned down my faction list and spotted the wraiths, the crowned skull, the leader of the wraiths. The entry in the book on the wraiths mentioned that they were a mysterious crew of masked thieves and spies. Perfect. A very fitting faction to serve as these potential allies. And given that note on masks and the image I selected, it's now obvious to me they wear masks representing skulls. All very edgy. The book gives plenty of interesting info on this faction, but the important part for me right now is that their leader, Slate, is sophisticated, daring and secretive. He is also, I decide, banged up for a ten-year stretch in the hook. So, 
we know what we're doing and why. And with that knowledge, I created two linked clocks for this prison break. The first one, Find Slate, a four-segment clock. And the second, Break Him Out, an eight-segment clock. Linked clocks just means you can't start on the second clock until you've completed the first. And we'll go through this in play. Next, we needed to determine how well or how poorly things are going. Blades likes to throw you straight into the action without any tedious planning beforehand. The game is designed for you to fill in most of the blanks as you play. All that was needed at this point was for the plan, type and detail to be provided. Given that my crew were shadows focused on espionage, it made sense that this was a deception mission, and the detailed description was disguise and infiltration. That's it, no further planning required. Next, I made an engagement roll. <clears throat> Next, I made an engagement roll with a series of bonus dice added or subtracted as instructed in the rules, and then I took four dice, rolled them all, and took the highest result, a three. That's the worst possible outcome, a desperate position. Well, of course it is. So, the plan was underway, but when we find our crew, the wheels have just come off. Something has just gone badly wrong. To find out what had gone wrong, I made another complex question, oracle roll, and this time I got fish bones and a broken helmet. Obvious. Starving inmates have had enough and turned on the guards, and we've got ourselves a full-blown prison riot. How do the crew get out of this alive? I figured this meant that in addition to the risk of getting themselves shanked, the crew also risks discovery by the guards, and so I created a four-segment danger clock called Alert. This seemed like a perfect opportunity to try out the flashback mechanic. By having Valerian spend stress, and by making a fortune roll which gave him a positive outcome, I introduced the idea into the narrative that this riot was all part of the plan, set up by one of their contacts. That improves their position from desperate to merely risky, and it also sets the scene for the crew to make their roll. I decided the group are going to try and sneak their way past the fighting and get out of the dining hall, and so to do that they want to make a prowl roll as a group action. I set the position as risky as described, and the effect here as standard. I'll dive into what all that means at a later stage. We'll cover rules as we go. But what really matters for now is that the outcome was a success, but with a consequence. And also that Valerian takes too stress. The positive outcome here, with a standard effect, meant that I get to mark two ticks on my find slate clock. And the consequence results in two ticks getting marked off the alert clock. The risk of discovery has just got closer. Now, this non-binary conflict resolution mechanic is a core element of Blades, and one of the reasons I think it, and the wider family of Powered by the Apocalypse games, lends themselves so well to solo play. In D&D, as we saw in Season 1, conflict resolution is binary. You get to do something by rolling a d20, adding a variable to it, and depending on whether or not you meet a target number, say armor class, you either succeed or fail. In Blades, it's a little bit different. You try to do something, gather a number of d6, depending on your skill and the related action, and potentially throw in some more dice, perhaps at a cost, and then roll. If the highest number is a 6, you succeed. If your highest number is a 4 or a 5, you succeed, but with a consequence. It works, but something's gone wrong. 
and if the highest dice result is a 1 to 3, it doesn't work, and you face a consequence. Now that's not so different at face value, but those consequences are where the magic happens. Because most die rolls are actually likely to end up resulting in a consequence, the act of the characters taking actions results in narrative momentum. My PCs are trying to do things, and in so doing, are generating story events around them. A new threat, a riskier environment, harm, and so on. Like I said, I have a consequence oracle to roll on, to help simulate the choices that a GM might make. In this case, I rolled a three, mark clock segments. I have to justify the consequences in the fiction, and so here in the story I described an increased risk of getting spotted and identified as intruders by the guards. Okay, that's probably enough rules explanation to be getting on with. This behind-the-curtain section has gone on long enough, so let's get back to the action. It's the next left, straight to the end and right at the T-junction, Tatters informs them, consulting the map. I have to say, Valerian, I'm impressed. A prison riot on cue, a map of the prison that actually appears to be accurate, right down to the patrol patterns. Could this possibly be that rarest of birds, one of your plans that doesn't turn out to be a monumental screw-up? Valerian inclines his head in mock gratitude. Your faith in my skills is gratifying as ever, darling Tatters. I did tell you our dear friend Captain the Rose was the man for this, and so he has proved to be. Why do you think I've spent the last year cultivating a friendship with a bluecoat, if not for situations just like this? All part of the service. Though in truth, even Valerian is a little surprised at just how effective La Rose has turned out to be. The uniforms were useful, of course, but the map... It looks like it's been swiped straight off the governor's desk, including not only cell numbers, patrol routes and hardpoints, but even scribbled adjustments and corrections. And so far, it has made their journey through the Iron Hook's maze-like corridors a walk in the park. No patrols, no inconveniently locked gates. Much as he hates to agree with pretty much anything that Tatters says, it does seem almost too good to be true. Tatters intrudes on his thoughts. Wonderful. Well, if you're done being smug, we're almost there. D-Wing. Cell D-139 should be around that next corner. But so too is, well, whatever this cog on the map signifies. There's something marked at the far end of the corridor. Like I told you, Tatters, let me deal with that. Alphonse, please look suitably captured. The trio turn into D-Wing's secure unit corridor. Alphonse stumbling manacled ahead of the two bluecoat officers, and they see what the cog on the map signifies. Mounted behind a steel mesh at the far end of the corridor is what looks like, at first glance, to be some sort of stubby artillery piece. Thick pipes of vulcanised rubber feed into the wide-barrelled contraption from either side, with two gunners positioned behind it. As the crew step into the corridor, they snap alert. This is a restricted area, one yells, a stocky man with mutton-chopped whiskers. Stop right where you are and state your business. Valerian doesn't stop, but instead steps past Alphonse and Tatters and continues to approach with an apologetic smile on his face. I'm sorry, friend, we have a prisoner to deliver, and this is where we were told to come. I'm sure we can... 
he gets no further. Oh, I said stop! The guard yells, panicked, and he pulls down on a lever. A jet of water erupts from the water cannon, blasting down the corridor. Valerian manages to avoid taking the full brunt of the blast, hurling himself to one side, but it clips him, and the force of it feels like he's been run over by a bull. He goes down, arms and legs flailing, winded and drenched. Textbook, Tatters sighs. Crater, you're up. Alphonse does not need asking twice. He charges, moving with surprising speed for a man of his size. By the time the panicking guards have brought the cannon to bear on him, he's reached the steel mesh and wrapped his fingers into it. Don't go anywhere, boys. I'll be with you in a second, Alphonse grins. Muscles bunch, and in a feat of near impossible strength, he tears the whole protective mesh clean out of the wall. The guards scramble back, eyes bulging in horror, fumbling their way back towards the alarm winding handle on the wall, but the big man is on them in an instant. He seizes the pair of them by the backs of their green tunics and slams their heads together, and they collapse, limp in a heap. Thank you for dealing with that, Valerian, Tatters snarks, snapping over the soggy, moaning tangle of limbs. She reaches the door of cell D-139, and tendrils of pale purple light emerge from beneath the cuff of her uniform, slipping into the lock. There is a sharp click, and the door swings open. Valerian, dripping and scowling, levers himself painfully to his feet and pokes his head into the cell. On the far side of the room, sitting cross-legged on the cot, is a rangy-looking figure, a mop of spiky black hair throwing pale, almost gaunt features into stark relief. Scale, I presume, Valerian of the Web. If you're of a mind to leave, we'd be happy to escort you. The prisoner stands, stretching, and yawns. Aren't you a little damp for a blue coat? he asks, a languid eyebrow raised. Valerian takes an instant dislike to the man, too good-looking and self-assured by half, but of course, as a consummate professional, he doesn't let it show. Damp, maybe, but your best chance of getting out of here. Care to join us? Slate shrugs and moves out of the cell, his movements lithe and controlled. Sure, he shrugs, as though it makes very little odds to the man whether he stays in this grimy little cell or leaves. If you have everything under control... Why not? Valerian is just in the process of preparing a suitably smug reply, something carefully crafted to demonstrate his competence and that of his crew, when a deafening alarm whirs into life and begins to echo down the prison corridors. It is swiftly followed by the cries of prison guards, distant but getting nearer. Valerian grimaces. You had to go and say that, didn't you? Well, never mind. The plan remains largely the same, with just one small alteration. If I might make a suggestion? Fucking run! You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com. 
or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbean.com, where I include any links mentioned in the episode as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.